be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is lesson number 6 on 2 Timothy. Let's read verse 1. I think this is a very pertinent first verse uh, for the times that we live in. And it simply says this, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. So in the last days, perilous times will come. The word perilous there has the idea of troubles, difficulties, stressful situations, and all of these mark the last day. Greek word that's used there was used to describe wild animals. Perilous or wild times in the last days. I think what we've been through over the past few years might qualify for that. There's only another place, one other place in the New Testament that this word is used, and it's used to describe the man in Gadarene, or the two demoniacs in Gadarene, who were in the tombs there and were wild and were he chained up and just did escape and all of those kinds of things. That's a pretty uh, interesting word. The other thing is that it's not just used to describe bad times, but also bad people. So perilous times will come in the last days. What is the last days? Biblically speaking, uh, it's a time frame. It's a time, actually, that is from Pentecost, which is the birth of the church, all the way up until our present day and until the Lord returns for his church. The last days goes through even the tribulation, those seven years after the church has been taken. That's a description of the last days. It's not just a few years, but it's a description of from the birth of the church all the way up through the present to now. That's probably why we have seen when Jesus described the things that would happen in the last days in Matthew 24, I believe it is. Uh, he talked about earthquakes and famine and all those kinds of things. And we've seen those, right? Uh, that's because we are technically in the last days. Perilous times uh, will come. I want to read a quote by the great preacher Spurgeon. And he's talking about these last days. He said, there are some who are looking forward to everything growing better and better and better until at last we enter the millennium. But scripture gives them no solid base to rest upon that. Apart from the second advent of our Lord, the world is more likely to sink into pandemonium. I thought that's an interesting word. Than to rise into millennium. So if we're looking for things to get better and better and better, that's not what the Lord's talking about here in the last days. As a matter of fact, he's talking about them getting worse and worse and worse. Does that mean that our lives are going to be worse and worse and worse? Not necessarily, because we're part of the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of the world, right? And God does good things, even in perilous times. He knows God's still a good God, and 
Uh, we're just children, and good things can even happen in the last days. Uh, and people still get saved, and miracles still happen uh, in the last days, because that's been since, you know, the day of Pentecost up till now. Expecting the world to get better is incorrect. Expecting God's people to be taken care of and God to still continue to have a work of salvation in the world, that is true. That will continue to happen uh, until the Lord returns for his church. Jesus told the um, religious leaders in his time, he scolded them for not understanding the times that they were in. He says, you can understand the seasons and the weather and I may have heard this, you know, red skies at night, shepherd's delight. That means the next day is going to be good. Uh, but red skies in the morn, shepherds were morning. So that means, you know, there's going to be storms and things like that. And so he was saying that if you can even read this, those simple things to understand, uh, you ought to be able to understand not exactly when the Lord's going to return. That's not what he's saying but that we are living in the last days and all of these are signs of the time, signs of the last days. All those things that Jesus talked about, those famines and earthquakes and perilous times uh, that Paul talks about here, they are telling of the end times. Let's read verses two through five. This is a continuing description, by the way, of the last days and it goes from talking about bad times to bad people. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. That's quite a description, isn't it? That's quite a list of uh, the human condition in the last days. Men will be lovers of themselves. What does that mean in your mind? Think higher of themselves than they should. Description, selfish, good, self-centered, all about self and self-love. So that's the a description of men will be lovers of themselves. How many of those we rarely have to be told to love ourselves? It kind of comes natural. It really does to love ourselves. As a matter of fact, we kind of love ourselves, like Bill said more than we ought to and dwell upon me, me, me and not others and the kingdom and the work of God. Uh, that is pretty much comes naturally. So here he's saying we don't really need to be encouraged to love ourselves uh, as much as sometimes we're being encouraged in these days. When you turn on the TV I'm going to say when. Actually, I I never anymore watch regular TV. I have certain programs that I pick out, and I watch them, and they don't even have commercials on. 
Praise the Lord. Because what are all the commercials about? Greed? Stuff that you didn't even realize you were missing out on. That, but the ad is like, you got to have this or you just don't, you don't have a fulfilled life if you don't have this. You didn't even know you needed it until they introduced it to you. So it's all about self-centeredness, self-love. Um, here's the description of, of the day. By the way, that scripture that talks about not to think more highly of yourself, that's Romans 12, 3. And it says, for I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought. So we have to see ourselves as we really are. Our flesh naturally desires things for itself. So that's why I'm saying we don't really have to encourage, be encouraged to love ourselves. Most of the time we do that. If you have some emotional problems, you may need to be encouraged to love yourself. And some people need to be encouraged to love themselves. It doesn't say don't love yourself. It says don't love yourself more than you ought to. Uh, so there, there, there's a difference there. So this self-centered life here, self-loving, love of self is the basic sin that mankind deals with. Think about it. What's the first sin introduced? Eve, right? Eating the fruit or whatever it might be. What's, what's, what's hidden behind that? Disobedience, but also her desire, because here's where Satan really came in, was if you do this, you know God don't want you to do this, because when you do, you will be like what? Like him. What does that say? It's all about me. This is the basic first type of sin that you see. Is a desire to be your own God and it all be about you. That is, you know, the, the, the first thing that we see of mankind. Second thing, men will be lovers of money. Does that mean you have to be poor? No, doesn't mean that. What does it mean? What, is, what should our attitude be about money? Thankful that we have some. Yeah, I think that's true. And I'll be the first to tell you, I don't think that, uh, I mean, Jesus said we'd always have the poor, okay? But I don't think that everybody has to be poor in order to be a Christian. Matter of fact, I know some fairly rich people who are Christians. They're, they're not synonymous being poor and being holy, and neither is being rich and being unholy, right? Being uh, unknown and being holy and being well-known and being unholy don't equate either, right? It's not this, it's, that's not what it's about. So what is it about? Men will be lovers of money. What does money get you? It gets you power, right? And it gets you things. And I've always said that it's okay to have money, but not okay for money to have you. Because I think there's some really good people who have really a lot of money who can do very good things with it. I think it's difficult for most people to have lots of money, and I'm not saying it's impossible, 
Because what did Jesus say about those who were rich? It's hard for them to get into heaven. Not impossible, because with God, everything's possible, but it makes it more difficult. Why? They rely on the money and themselves, right? Instead of trusting God, right? By the way, that eye of the needle that Jesus talks about, that's not literally an eye of a needle. It's not like a sewing needle. It's not, that's not what it is. In fact, I was in Israel, and when you would go from one city to another, many times you would go through a gate. And when you get to that gate, there was a big wide gate, part of the gate, that everything and anything can pass through. I mean, you could go through on camels, you could go through in a caravan, all of this kind of stuff. But then to the other side, there was a narrow gate. And as a matter of fact, unless you got off your camel and unloaded it, there's no way that you could go through it. That's what Jesus is talking about. So not impossible, but difficult. That attitude towards money and possessions, uh, it's important. And, and we see that the world is going to be lovers of money. Men will be boasters, proud, blasphemers. Boasters, proud, blasphemers. Sounds like an attitude of, I'm more important than anybody else. And if it's not watched, it'll be, I'm more important than even God. 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Yeah, it's not having money being evil. It's the love, the desire that it's above anything and everything. I think we've probably all at least been exposed and you may know some people who simply would do anything for money. Walk over people, they would stab people in the back, they would do whatever possible. I've known some people like that. It's that love of money that is the root of all kinds of Disobedient to parents. That actually goes back to one of the Ten Commandments, doesn't it? We're to honor our mother and father. That our days may be long upon the earth. I used to joke when I was a kid growing up and say, yeah, because daddy would kill me if I didn't obey, right? <laughs> but that's not what it's talking about. Uh, it's talking about a basic honor and respect for our parents. Even though they're not perfect. I'm still not perfect as a parent. You know, you never grow out of being a parent, do you? No matter how old your kids are. Compound it with some missing parents. I'm not even going to obey my parents when I don't know where they are or who they are. I'm being raised by a grandma or a stranger. It is more difficult to teach that now than probably than it's ever been. Men will be unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. So all of these things are prevalent in the last day. Unthankful. Unthankful. We ought to be thankful. Amen? We don't look at that as a, as a really bad trait, but it is. To be unthankful. Entitled. Yeah. Unforgiving. Bible warns us as Christians, 
to forgive, doesn't it? So that's one of those things that the world is going to have these traits going on. People are going to have these traits going on. Here's the danger. When you see these kinds of attitudes and problems in the world, and you live in the world, but you're not of the world, you here's where you have to be careful not to pick up these attitudes. Because if you don't watch it, even though you know God's blessed you, you can, come, you can have an unthankful attitude, right? You can have an unforgiving attitude. Even when God says, forgive your, your enemies. These are things that we see in, in the last days. Unloving. Wow. We could go down a big trail here. But this means, and it's translated in the King James, is without natural affection. Disregard of normal love. And this is family love. Without natural affection, missing this family kind of love. How I many knows that God designed family, right? And, and, I, and I don't really have to go there because you know what the world's doing right now. All about unnatural affection, right? And acceptance, not just acceptance, but saying it's okay, you know, saying uh, tolerance and all of that. We, we have to understand that when we see this, we do. It's prevalent not just in the world, but in the church too. This is a love for what God designed. The family, the mother, the father, the children, that this is a, an affection towards what God, how God designed the family to be. And, and I'm not trying to, let me say this. The church probably hasn't, not probably, has not done a great job with people who stray from natural affection. And when I say that, I mean, we have to love, but not condone that kind of lifestyle. And it's hard to do both. To love, but say, I love you, but that's not right. That's not correct. That's not what God designed. And I'm not trying to heap up condemnation on the church when I say that. I'm saying that we have work to do there. Where uh, we love people, but we don't necessarily condone that aberrant kind of lifestyle. Men will be slanderers. Look at the political saying. That's the first thing I thought of. You know, one side slandering the other. Accusing one another uh, of all these things. This is signs of the last times. Men without self-control. No self-control. Whether it's with food. Wow, that hit me. Work. How many of you can be a workaholic? Alcohol, drugs, sexually, you can be without self-control, anger. Yeah, all these things, we see these. If you can read through this list and not get somewhat condemned, then you might not be reading it correctly. Because it should, we should want to live holy, pure lives, right, before God. Uh, and if we're missing the mark, then we need to ask the Lord to help us, right? Forgiveness and, and, and go on serving the Lord. I think slander goes all the way back to this 
pride. And we have a tendency to slander people that talk about people that we, we probably were jealous of. I mean, that was the word I was seeking for. Because they have a position, or because they have this much influence, or because they have this. And if we don't watch it, it's easy to get on that same bus. You can do what you want to. I try not to get on that bus at all, especially on social media like Facebook or things like that, because what happens is you can get drugged into a lot of things that you don't really want to have happen. You don't want those comments and those kinds of things. And they don't even have to back it up. They no. just say it, and it seems like everybody believes it. You know, obviously, slander is to intentionally hurt someone with information that might not even be true. Men will be despisers of good. It's happening. Despisers of good. They just don't like good people sometimes. Doing good things. They think sometimes that there's got to be something wrong with them if they're doing something good. They're hiding something. I mean, you hear that kind of talk, right? Despisers of good. And so uh, we live in a culture that is very attacking. Good, people doing good are, people don't trust them, don't believe that's really, you know what I'm saying? So they will be traitors, headstrong, haughty, and that's good pride. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. If you watch TV and especially ads, advertisement, it's all about you need this because it will bring you pleasure. You should buy this. You should do this because it's going to bring you pleasure. Rather than being lovers of God, you're being lovers of self. Pleasure. Psalm 1611, a little bit of a sidetrack here, but it tells us we don't have to choose between pleasure and God. We can serve God and it actually be a pleasure. I, I don't know if you've experienced that or not. I do. Serving the Lord has been a wonderful life for me. It's not uh, something I hate to do. I, I love serving the Lord, and it's very fulfilling to serve the Lord. So uh, this idea that you can either, either have pleasure or you can serve the Lord, is that's not true. You can have both, right? By serving the Lord. Psalm 1611 says, At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So the Lord wants us to have pleasure. Yeah, if we're falling away from the Lord, and if we're not following him, then we'll get miserable. Like when the Lord tells you to do something and you disobey, that's not fun. It's not pleasurable. Because you know you should have done it or should have not done it, you know, depending upon what it was. And then it feels like it's, I, I feel terrible. So obedience will, will help us have this pleasure with serving God. Quick testimony. It has nothing to do with this, but it just popped in my mind. Uh, you know, I told you when we began began that I uh, preached my uncle's funeral today and uh, I had one of my cousins at the end of it he told me as he went by to view the body he said can I talk with you I'd really like to pray with you 
And so he rededicated his life to the Lord. I mean, what a, what a, what a beautiful thing to happen from a situation that could have been looked at as all bad. But God does beautiful things even in the midst. That's why I said God's still blessing people and still saving people even in the last days, right? Uh, and, and so that was that's just wonderful. It was a joy to be, I can bring it back. It was a joy and a pleasure to be a part of that. I've done a lot of wonderful, fun, pleasurable things. Nothing more pleasurable than praying with someone and talking with someone about the Lord and them deciding, I need Jesus. Nothing, nothing more pleasurable. Nothing more rewarding than that at all. It, it, it's wonderful. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. What does that make you think of? So they, they just take God and take the word and they uh, and they just make it what they want it to be. Right? Like the Pharisees did. Cup washed on the outside but not on the inside. Like the Pharisees did. Right? Having a form of godliness. What I think about this will spark some, some thinking here, is tradition and uh, things that, that sometimes we think of as holy, which are not really necessarily holy. Even, even things we do modern day sometimes in church services are tradition. I like some traditions, don't you? There's nothing in the Bible that says we have to sing three songs and then the pastor preaches and then... You know, it doesn't have to be that way. We kind of like it. And we're, we know what to expect. But, you know, if church ever comes to a point where it is so predictable and so set and so reliant upon tradition that God himself isn't allowed to move, then, then we have a problem. You can have a form of godliness but deny the power of God. I mean, because God does some radical things. Look at the miracles that Jesus did. He hardly ever did any of them the same way. I mean, it wasn't, well, wait a minute, we've got to do the three songs first and then have a testimony and then I can heal somebody. That's not what Jesus did. I mean, he was radical in the way he did things. He spit on the ground, put mud in people's eyes. I mean, you know, uh, just some things that if I did that, y'all would want to kick me out as my pastor. I can tell you, as your pastor, I can tell you that, right? Uh, you spit on a few people. <laughs> <laughs> Only when I was preaching really hard. Only when I was preaching really hard. That's why nobody wants to sit on the front row sometimes. Anyway, that's just that's just holy water, anointed spit, right? <laughs> they, they did a Christmas play and they were setting up like a church you know and the pastor got up and they jokingly because one of the running jokes was because one time I was preaching I said oh I'm, I'm sorry I think I spit on you you know uh, and they put on like a dentist's face mask you know in this Christmas play they didn't actually do it in the church but in this Christmas play they did it as a running joke uh, so, <laughs> so anyway, that was kind of a running joke that uh, that you know 
watch out because Pastor Mike has been on. I don't purposefully do that, by the way. Uh, sometimes I just get really excited about the Word and what the Lord's doing. And my lips move faster than my brain can keep up with. And I don't know. I think it's a good warning for us to not be so much about form, but about power. Let God move how God wants to move. Many people would say, Pastor, you led something to the Lord. You gave an altar call at the funeral? Yeah, I did. I absolutely did. I didn't say come now, because that would be odd with the body there. And I said, come see me, right? Come see me. And, and by the way, that's not the first time that God's moved that way. It, it, not at all. I think it's like six or seven people that I know of that have gotten saved at funerals that I did. Absolutely. I have the, the best illustration that there ever is. One day, we're all going to be like this guy or this lady and have them prepared for that. That's pretty much what my message was today. Are you prepared? Are you ready? Well, that's kind of radical because I've, I've not heard too many preachers do that. I really don't care if you thought I did a had eloquent words at the funeral. I don't want to be uncouth and I don't want to, you know, uh, not honor the person, but that's not why I'm there. The funeral's not for the dead, it's for the living. That's what I mean when and I'm not just talking about funerals, but if we don't watch, even in our church services, we'll get so tied up in the form that we won't let God move. And that's why at the end of the service, I'm like, hey, does anybody need prayer? I don't care if you're a sinner or a saint. You need prayer. Come on down here because we got some people that know how to pray and get a hold of God. And you have a need. Why not do it now? Right? And I just preached about it, this awesome, powerful God. And then if I was to say, well, let's just go home. And you go home. With the same problems and the same sickness that you came with, that doesn't really talk a lot about the power of God, does it? So all of these things, so we talked about perilous times, the bad times, and now bad people. When I say bad people, I'm talking about the actions that they're taking, okay? From such people turn away. So that's to be our action. Have you found that easy to do? Depends. I think we're all susceptible in, to some of these in different, different things may make you susceptible to join along. When I'm talking about like, for instance, are you susceptible when people start talking about how bad the politicians are to jump on board and start talking about and slandering politicians? Are you susceptible to that? If you are, Get out of there, right? Don't, don't, don't play into that. Don't allow, because then you're going to go home. You might have showed up in a great mood, and somebody started talking about politicians and how terrible they are and this and that and the other, and you go home mad. You leave the church mad. So I think we have to be careful. Negativity is one of those, these things. That's why it says to turn away, because it's real easy. We all... I mean, I could do it right now. Don't you think this world's awful? 
Don't you think it's going in the wrong direction? It, you know, and before long, I'd have us all talked into a tizzy. I mean, I could, right? Because that negative bandwagon is going, and if you hop on, it's real hard to get off of. I'm not, and I'm not just talking about having a positive attitude. The Bible says, don't stay there in that. Go away from those who are acting like that and doing like that. Not to, see, I don't think it's about shunning them. I think it's for our good. You know what works really good? When you don't jump on that whatever issue thing that they're just all upset about and wait. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will begin to work and they're like, why aren't you up bothered by that? And you can say, because I'm trusting in the Lord. I'm, I'm a part of a kingdom that's not of this world. you know. And, and sometimes that is a good way. Sometimes they're not going to be receptive to that. And so be it, right? Turn away. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. It is important who you hang around with. 1 Corinthians 15.33 tells us that do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. It is a great scripture because now there's, I'm not saying that you can't have influence on people who are doing bad things. But we have to understand that they also can have an influence on us. So we have to understand the company that we're keeping. I've heard it said, and especially, this is very true, especially for young people, show me your friends and I'll show you your destiny. I mean, that, that's not a biblical, that's not a biblical scripture, but it's got a lot of truth in it. Because who you hang out with really matters. Even as older folks, who you hang out with really matters. Verses 6 and 7. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Those who creep into households. The devil doesn't usually barge in, does he? He usually sneaks in, creeps in, camouflages. That's a good, that's a good uh, idea, a good thought. And when he creeps in, now, understand this. He makes captives of gullible women. Why would Paul have singled out women when he's talking about this creeping into households? You have to know the culture. The culture is in that time, women pretty much stayed home and did the household stuff. Paul is saying because women spent more time at home in that day than men did that uh, he, that's why he's kind of singling out women uh, about this the enemy taking uh, them captive and taking advantage of them. Uh, it doesn't mean that women are Dumb or women are more susceptible, but it, what he's saying there is if they're at home, and then they're going to be susceptible to this, right? Because in that day, women spent more time at home than men did. And led away by various lusts, 
always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. How many like to learn? Everybody likes to learn, right? That's why we're here. Learn about the Lord. We're learning scripture. But this is always learning, but never coming to the knowledge of truth. We don't just learn for the sake of learning. We learn for the sake of discovering truth and having being able to apply that truth to our life. Let me give you an example. We can literally break, and I've done this before in a small passage, but you can literally take every word in a verse of the Bible and track it down to the Greek or the Hebrew. Now, when you do that, you might discover some really cool things, but some of those won't really lead you any closer to the truth than studying in order to apply it to your life in order to know truth. You'll discover things like when you, when you go to that level of studying, you'll discover that many means many. And how does that help you? Right? You'll discover that few means few. You might know the Greek word or the Hebrew word, but did that really help you? He's talking about a getting to like this situation of learning simply for the sake of learning and not necessarily for truth. There's nothing wrong. Can I tell you that I do that? I study at that level sometimes so that I have it inside of me so that I can give it to you as a truth as the Holy Spirit brings light upon it. But we have to be careful that we're not just learning in order to learn. Verse 8 and 9. Janice and Jambre, I don't know if that's how you say it or not, but I said it with authority, so that's what it is. Uh, who resisted Moses? That's what we're looking at here. So now as Janes and Jambre resisted Moses, so did these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith that they will progress no further for their following will be manifest to all as theirs also was. So if you look back these uh, are Egyptian magicians who opposed Moses before Pharaoh. These men were. And they were able to work miracles, but they did it by the power of darkness. And that's, that's interesting, isn't it? But when it all come down to it, when Moses rod was laid down and it turned into a snake and they laid their rods down and it they also turned into a snake what happened the snake ate there right so the power of God the power of light not the power of darkness is the greatest power right uh, and he's going into this uh, example of men resisting the truth having corrupt minds power of we don't talk too much about that, but the power of Satan is real. He's not more powerful than the devil, than the Lord, but the power of Satan is real. Uh, and when you see that, uh, and so these men were uh, delusioned by the power of evil. Here's this message of hope. He, he ends with this. Here's this message of hope in the midst of 
in the last days, it's going to be really dark. There's going to be a lot of bad things going on. But what is this telling us? That God is still in control. God's more powerful. God's will will be done. And the truth will come out. That's kind of how he's ending this particular section. So according to verse 1, what will happen in the last days? Perilous times will come. In broad terms, what are the last days? Pentecost up to the Great Tribulation, or through the Great Tribulation. Birth of the church on the day of Pentecost to where we currently are. We are in the last days. In regard to men being lovers of themselves, what does Romans 12, 3 say? As I think of yourselves more highly than you ought to, right? Question 4, in regard to men being lovers of money, what does 1 Timothy 6.10 say? The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Question 5, how does the King James Version translate the word unloving without natural affection? What does Psalm 1611 teach us about God and pleasure? It's okay, yeah. You don't have to tweet, choose between pleasure and God. You can have both. Question seven. What are we supposed to do with those who live like verses two through five? Away from them. Question eight. What scripture backs up this instruction? 15, 15, 33. According to verse 6, why might Paul have singled out women? Because they were pretty much spent more time or full time at home. Question 10. What two men does Paul use as an example of resisting the truth? Sons and Janitors. 